Welcome back. Welcome back. Oh, oh you're, you're actually back. You're actually back. I mean, are you actually going to join me for this podcast do this you, time? Do you know? I'm freaking doing all the work myself for this podcast for First Adam. You might as well just call it First Andy because I'm dealing with all the problems myself now. Do you know how many comments we got about that? People did not like the break in the dynamic duo. Well, it, you need to show up, bro. It was like Robin took over the show. He's a little weak. He needs Batman. So don't worry, folks. Batman is back. Ain't nobody got time for that. Yeah, for another Robin episode. That's what people said. That was in the comments. Ah, <laughs> uh, whatever, man. Hey, guys, I hope that you're doing well. Thank you for joining us on another edition of First Adam. We're excited to bring a guest with us today. But I first off just want to say this. Um, you know, we talk real stuff. Today uh, in this episode is a real conversation. It's not just about having some fun as we've done in the past, as we like to do and bring some humor to things. But this is a conversation that I think is going to be very beneficial to a lot of men out there. Um because we're going to talk about something that we typically don't like to talk about as men. Um, and so I'm just going to be straight out the gate with you. This is going to be a heavy, heavy subject today. And I think you'll understand why, but we also have, I think an incredible takeaway that I think for some of you guys, it's been long waited and needed. And uh, we'll get to that at the end of it. Um, as, as we kind of conclude things. So I'm just thankful that you guys are joining us. We want to remind you guys to share us, um, especially this episode, because I, I have a feeling you're going to listen and realize there's somebody in your life that probably needs to hear what we're going to be talking about today. So erectile dysfunction. I don't have that problem. Oh, I thought we were focusing on you today. Erectile dysfunction. No, I don't have that you problem. You said it was going to be something that wasn't hard, but... <laughs> I don't know that we can say that, dude. Come on, man. We have some women we that listen to this. We get a sponsor from this. We, we, hymns. Hymns, yeah. Hymns. We'll get the hymns sponsor. Um, no, I'm really excited about this. Um, and it's a topic that Andy and I started talking about coming out of one of the UFC fights where Patty Pimblett had just lost a friend. And so he wins the fight and he says... Men, you need to be talking to each other about where you are in life, where you are in depression, because one of my best friends blew his head off this weekend, and I never had a clue that he wasn't doing well. Yeah. And so that's what we're going to talk about. And there's stories like that, right? Yeah, we're going to be talking about some uh, mental health, but we have a friend of ours, a friend of mine. uh, His name is Chet. Chet and I are friends now. We've been making fun of you for an hour. Yeah, well, that's easy to do. Um, we have my friend Chet here and, uh, I've known Chet for about three years. Uh, thanks Chet for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Appreciate you, man. So, uh, I'm going to give you a little background of Chet and, um, my, in my interactions with him. First of all, there's not many men that I'm physically scared of, but, uh, Chet is a man I'm physically intimidated by because he's a big guy. And sometimes, although Jason, you're a big guy, I'm just not intimidated by you. Is it the um, erectile dysfunction? Well, your erectile dysfunction does not intimidate me, um, but he's a, he's a he's a very uh, just over he, he's a very astute man, and uh, so that was my first interaction with Chet. I'm like, I'm a little scared of this guy, and I don't get scared of many things. But then I got to know him, and the thing I found about my friend Chet here, and you're gonna hear his story, is his heart is a, a, a pure heart, and it's a it's a soft heart. And it's a soft mind, and uh, I, I'd consider him a gentle giant in this world. And he's got has one of the coolest jobs I think ever that you can have. Like he was Starsky and Hutch before Starsky and Hutch. <laughs> and he'd probably kill somebody for you if you asked him. Yeah, well, I, I, yeah, if I ever need him to, That's, he would. 
that like you, I think we always go, oh, but then I met Chet and really inside he's a big softy. Yeah. No, he's not. He's the guy you want to take and bring it to your foxhole because he's going to kill somebody for you. Yeah. Well, let's not get, let's not talk about that. But Chet, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I appreciate you guys having me. Um, a little bit of my background. I recently retired after 21 years in law enforcement. I've Starsky kind of started to come back because it's a calling and uh retirement was a little boring but uh i got to spend you're not supposed to say that because your wife is like i love having you home yeah well i do get to spend more time with family and my kids and my wife are super important but i had 20 plus 21 plus years in law enforcement between um being a detective and working in the prisons and working on the road a little bit but most of my career was spent being a detective. Let me ask you a question. What's the easiest way to get out of a speeding ticket? Don't speed. Oh, I've been pulled over over 20 times. I've gotten like five speeding tickets. (laughs) Did you ever name drop when you got pulled over? No, you didn't have to. No. Oh, I name drop people. I don't know. I've name dropped your name. Buddies have name (laughs) dropped me. And most of the people probably work on the road now have no idea who I am. Just, we're so far removed in, in age gap that they're like, who the heck is that? I would say the first way to get out of a ticket is don't get pulled over by DPS, get pulled over by sheriff. Sheriff, you've got a chance. DPS, I'm like, no, no, that's not true because uh, DPS has pulled me over and I've got a waste of finite resource ticket. Oh, no, I have gotten that before. That's a, a sweet times. ticket. I, I wrote that to a driver that was driving a Prius one time. I thought that was kind of, <laughs> did was, he ask for it or did you just give it to him? Ultimate no, I, irony. The ultimate irony. Um, it was <laughs> because he wasn't real, real bad speeding. It was like I-10 and the Broadway curve a long, long time ago. And if it was just a little bit of speeding, but they were kind of impeding traffic, I'm like, I'm going to cut you a break. You're kind of slowing people down, but you're... You're you're driving too. You're driving a little bit over the speed limit, but you're driving too slow in the fast lane. So, mm. I'll cut you a break. Waste of finite resources, and they're like, waste of finite resources. I drive a Prius, and I'm like, yep. You can get the regular ticket, or, or but you it's get no this. points on your license. It's like sixty five bucks. Please give it to me. So let me just tell you this, but but city cops can't issue that. It's only. DPS or sheriff, right? It's it's for interstate travel. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're driving on interstate in Arizona, because other states don't have this, this is not a thing in Illinois where I'm from. If you get pulled over on an interstate, ask them for a waste of finite resource ticket, and I think it's going to help you out. Yeah. I mean, you had the full gamut of people crying, people, you know. What's the worst excuse you've ever heard? And then we're going to actually get into the topic. But when you got a former former um, policeman sitting with you and law enforcement, you got to ask the questions because that's what everybody wants to know. Nobody cares about what we talk about right now. They want to know the stories, Chet. They want to know the stories. Um, worst excuse to get out of a ticket you've ever heard. Worst excuse ever? That's put me on the spot. Um, most of them had no excuse, honestly. They... Uh, they would try to do something impromptu right there to get out of it, <laughs> whether that be uh, some of the females, you know, oh boy, doing, you know, what's it going to take to get out of this ticket or those types of things. Yeah. Um, 
loosening garments, unfortunately. And I'm like, that doesn't work. You're still getting a ticket. I would have come up with some asinine responsive responses to those things. Like what's it going to take for me to get out of this ticket? Well, what I really want you to do is my car really needs washed right now. <laughs> so here's a spray bottle. You go back. No. I'm raising funds for the Catholic Church downtown. Yeah. Most of the people didn't have excuses for speeding. They had excuses for other things that you'd stop them for. Yeah. Oh, I always have a story. By the time you get to my car, you you better have brought a chair because I will take <laughs> you through the story of my life. And if you can get them to listen to your story, most of the time you come back with just a warning. I, I don't know that, man, because I've given I've stories. I've pulled over, over, I would say, 25 times and written less than a fourth. I've been pulled over in a long, not, not have been pulled over in a long time, but every time I seem to get pulled over, I get a ticket. I must have a face that says idiot. Well, I but, do want to hit you when I see you. So yeah. <laughs> Shet and I both agreed on that. I, I've tried many, many times to get out of stuff, and it just doesn't seem to work. So now all I do is I don't even roll my window all the way down. I just stick the papers out the window. I'm like, go ahead, write it. Give it to me. Let's go. Let's get how, how fast can we be a done with this? Probably will never give you a break. I agree. Of um, they're just that's they don't even carry warnings. Who's that? A motor motor song, like yeah. city or or state. And they're the only ones in Arizona. The motorcycle cops, especially in Scottsdale, are the only ones who have radar guns. The cars don't or didn't at least. Yeah, cars do, and then they have lidar now, which is a laser, and you pinpoint. Which gives you no time. It gives you. Uh, pinpoint accuracy join us on the next episode of first adam where we tell you how to get around all legal and illegal ways <laughs> around a ticket um all right apparently let's, let's, you won't be invited for that episode yeah, apparently not because i suck at it um all right let's jump in so uh, how long you been married chet i have been married 13 years and your children how old are they 11 and 8 11 and 8 13 years, man. He's like a newlywed still. Well, and congratulations. Your kids still like like you, think you're the smartest Superman. Guy they, they still know. think you're Superman. Not always, but we it's have a good relationship. It's going to change that. Yeah, like I'm I'm not Superman anymore. I'm more like dopey. Yeah. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. Uh, anyways. Um, so I, I let, let's just jump into the, the, the topic at hand. I, I think it's a good deal. Oh, by the way, um, one of the coolest things about you, and I'm not going to have you talk about this because I know it's very confidential, um, but if you need services of protection, my man Chet can help you out there because he's taking care of heads of state in many, many ways and in private security and, and legal security for heads of state. And so this dude is trusted with some of the high-profile people in our state and in our country. And uh, that's the type of guy he is. So what we're talking about is not just, um, you know, we just don't have a police officer in here. We've got a guy who's had massive responsibilities and had to take care of, of pretty high importance people. And with that comes a high level of stress and responsibility, right? The weight of that, of always having to be on, the weight of that, of always having to be always confidential. Have answer. Always have the answer. Um, living in almost a, a, a non-error environment. Would, yeah. you, would you say that? Yeah, it's a that environment does not allow for mistakes. Then if you do, um, it it looks bad on you and your protectee, and your your reflection of whoever you're protecting at that time, and and your agency and your partners. Yeah, and they only select certain people that are of high quality and of high character. And so that's who Chet is. He's a, he's a man of high quality and high character enough to be selected to guard some of the most influential people that we know. And, um, and so that's who we have sitting in front of us. And so I'm so thankful and I'm humbled to be 
uh, with him and, and consider him a friend. Uh, and, and I'm just thankful that God has brought us together in this deal. But a couple of weeks ago, can we jump into that story? Sure. Is that cool? A couple of weeks ago. So you retired. We had an awesome retirement party at your house. And it was cool uh, to see Mikey's house. Or, yeah. So a friend's house, another friend's house. But it was awesome to see uh, the community of guys that were around you and celebrating you. And I was just blessed to be a part of that and just to witness um, the character of who you are in front of your peers, which was which was pretty astounding. So I just wanted to give you kudos. to Thank that. you. Um, but you retired. So what's it been like now? Um, it was dif- it was difficult. Um, all I wanted when I was younger, junior high, probably is when that bug hit me of wanting to be in law enforcement. And I give credit to my parents for keeping me on the straight and narrow. I was upset. We talk about, you know, being a good role model for your kids. And, you know, other kids were getting to stay out later. Other kids were getting to go do this or go do that. And my parents were, nope, you're going to be home at this time. And I was held accountable if I wasn't or if I got caught doing something I wasn't supposed to. But that, I think, allowed me into this profession. I had nothing to worry about Mm. for the most part. You know, you, 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 you have other jobs and you have different things that come up in, in backgrounds or uh, in interviews, nothing illegal or anything like that. But when you're on a, the correct path that I didn't realize at the time and now being older and a little bit wiser, not much, but a little bit wiser and a lot more godly, it, I really, really appreciate that because you see the kids that are getting involved in, you know, just either little things whether it be a little bit of drug use whether it be a little bit of crime whether it be truancy bad grades those all build on each other Mm. and my my mom was a teacher there's no way she was not going to let me make good grades and there was no way that I was going to be late my dad would lay down the law and held both uh, my sister and I accountable and by doing so I left, you know, I lived that path of not having ever been getting in trouble. Now, you do a couple of stupid things in college and that I'm not proud of, but nothing that prevented me from the career choice that I chose. And you see a lot of people that do want to get in that career path that have made poor decisions or have had external influences that don't allow them to get in because, you know, going into law enforcement, it's not the same as filling out a resume and go in an interview with a boss. It is a long and lengthy process that unless you've tested, many people don't realize. Um, yeah. I actually took the Phoenix police test. Way back. The written test. The written. Passed it with flying colors. And back then there was probably thousands and thousands. There was a of lot people. of guys in the room. Yeah. A lot of guys. And, and what's the crazy thing is half of them probably didn't pass the written test, which I'm like, you got to be kind of an idiot not to pass that. Right. But But I think a cool point that he brings up here, that's a little bit different than like I'm a banker or I'm a, there's so many jobs that men just fall into. And we talk about having an identity and a calling. Mm. And from a young age, your parents were putting in you an identity somebody that was a rule follower, somebody that went above and beyond, somebody that was a protector. And so when in junior high, that early, he knew where he was going. He didn't know what it looked like, but he knew where he was going into law enforcement. And and I hear that story a lot with my friends that are police officers, where it's a calling. 
And, yeah. and so they're walking in that. And I think that's an important point because a lot of us are sitting there just, we're doing a job to make money so we can come home and live our life. But he's actually walking in his calling. And yet you're going to have some issues that we're going to talk about today. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's a great point. Um, just because you walk in your calling and your purpose doesn't mean it's not without problem. Doesn't mean it's rainbows and unicorns. Yeah. Rainbows and unicorns. Um, so, you know, you and I talked a couple weeks ago and you called me on a random day and we had a conversation about something that had transpired. And so this is where the heavy part gets. And, and I just want to say this right off the bat. Uh, I, I, you know, us guys, as we talk, that we're pretty transparent guys. And um, I want to be careful and sensitive to honor Chet and the transparency of what he desires to share and not to, to share. Um, and, and we'll work around that. So just know that this is not a scripted conversation. This is a fluid conversation. And so um, I've we've given Chet the freedom to say, you know what, I, I don't really want to talk about that um, because uh, of our value of each other and caring for one another. So um, you called me a couple of weeks ago and just said, hey, man, I'm, I'm if I can, is it okay to quote what you said to me? Cause sure. I, I remember, I just want to get your permission. Uh, I said, Hey Chet, what's going on? And your words to me, um, were words I would have never expected from you. Um, knowing who you are, knowing your, your, the quality of guy you are, the character of guy you are, the love that you have for Christ, the love you have for our people. Um, the words you said to me was, I'm not well, those are the exact words. I said, how you doing? And your words were, I'm not well. Talk to us a little bit about what, what, what happened. Well, I think um, a lot of guys, and I, I wasn't in the military, so I'm not speaking for anyone in the military, but I know law enforcement is a, is a paramilitary organization, and we share some of that. And I know a lot of people in the military that ex- have experienced these types of things. Um, you deal with the worst of the worst of society, and it takes a toll over time. The stress that anyone endures at work is stressful, no matter what your profession is. But we're specifically talking about law enforcement and it can relate to other jobs, but this is where I'm coming from in law enforcement. It jades you and it makes you not the same person that you entered and everybody, you can read books, you can talk to old timers and you're like, that's not going to happen to me. Or, you know, you think you're invincible, you're going to solve all the problems and all the stress of dealing with the people um, that you come across, having worked in narcotics and having worked in uh, gangs for a long time, you are dealing with the worst of society as far as the crime. Um, They do not respect law enforcement and we treat them with respect, but seeing the crimes that they commit, seeing the victims, seeing them not get punished how we thought they would should be punished you spend you know countless hours developing a case and on surveillance or whatever the the circumstances are and then you have a prosecutor that or a judge that you know is pretty lenient and you start questioning things and you start questioning how does how is that allowed how how do they get away with that or you get a partner that's shot or another agency that's shot and you're going to these officer funerals and it it takes a toll after a while and some people it doesn't some people mo- i would say most it takes a toll on we all joke in law enforcement on the days to retirement because most agencies have that 20 year pension and it's a 
it's a common joke within law enforcement to, oh, I got this many years because you know, you one, you'll get a pension, two, you're just done. Mm. And like I said, all I wanted to do was be in law enforcement. Um, I didn't know what agency, I, I wasn't dead set on an agency, but I wanted to be a protector. I wanted to be a problem solver. I wanted to be someone that took care of people in need and put bad guys in jail. And I think over the years, it just probably took a toll that I didn't see and that other people didn't see. And there's no one thing that I can put pinpoint on. But when I retired and I've having spoke to people or, you know, doing my own research and due diligence, looking into it, I think because that was my identity Mm. and it didn't, I'm not saying like law enforcement defines who Chet is, but it was a major sure. factor in my life. Sure. Um, I worked a lot of hours like most all do, and you're gone from your family a lot, and you spend sometimes in some weeks more time with your your squad or your coworkers than you do with your wife and kids. And you're seeing, you know, what they're going through in the trials and tribulations. You see the high divorce rate. Uh, you see high alcoholism. You see a lot of guys in, in this profession start to self-medicate when they're going through problems. If you've, you know, been in a city agency and you're seeing DVs or you're seeing kids, you know, getting pulled from a pool or you're seeing collisions and, you know, unfortunately, you know, you're given next to kin notifications and seeing dead people, you, you put on that front that it, it doesn't affect you. And we have training that allows you to go through those types of experiences and be able to survive. And there are coping mechanisms that law enforcement develops over the course of their career that you deal with it. And some are healthy and some aren't healthy. Luckily I had friends and a supporting family that I never had to turn to anything unhealthy. And some things, you know, if you bring it home, you just kind of relive it. But I didn't really talk to my wife about a lot of the things I saw because I don't want her to worry every day. Mm. Um, And most of the wives or spouses in law enforcement, when you talk to them, they have just as much worry in their heart and their mind that are, is my spouse going to come home? Um, Most professions, you don't think that, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to work. Yeah. Jay, has your wife ever said, I don't know if you're coming home from the bank today. She's asked me not to come home from the yeah, yeah. but but so, no, I think I think your point that it impacts more than you. Um, I think your point that the there's and I'll just call it a lie, Shet, a lie that you have to deal with it yourself. You have to internalize it. Is very um, repeated, right? That's how people deal with it. Yeah, it will absolutely. give you some tools at work, but at the end of the day, it's going to be you and these tools internalize it and i think that's not just a lie that we tell military or police say i think it's more exaggerated there because there is a higher pressure level and so you see it manifest more there but i think that's a lie that just goes throughout men specifically well i i I, and i agree with both what you're saying i think there's a group of men i would say it's a high percentage based upon some of the things that i've read and personally have experienced I think there's a lot of men who have um, a struggle. Absolutely. And with mental mental health and a struggle with anxiety, a struggle with depression. That's the stuff we're talking about here. Um, 
who who never know what it is, don't know how to address it, and just think there's something must be wrong with me, and then I'm not I'm not healthy as an uh, I'm not okay right. as a person. Um, and so then we have this stigma that we put on ourselves that there must be something wrong with me, something wrong with life, because I can't get myself out of feeling the way I feel. And that was the phone call that we had. Right. Right. You were struggling with anxiety. Yeah. And you you told me a couple of things. I've gone for walks. I've done the things I'm supposed to do to try to get out of what I'm feeling. And it's come out of nowhere. There's no, your words to me were, there's no explanation of why I'm feeling the way I'm feeling. I can't even explain how I'm feeling. Right. And how, how did that feel? Because you, you mentioned something about like a feeling of pressure in your spirit, your chest, your physicality. Talk to us about that. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people don't know what they're going through when they feel these things. But, and I don't, like I said, Andy, I was completely honest with you. I'm completely honest with you right now. I have no idea. I'm sure someone would love to dive deep into my brain and figure <laughs> it out. But, um, and, and maybe it was a culmination of kind of going back to work and, and who knows what, but if anyone's ever experienced that, it was, you know, severe anxiety that you couldn't pinpoint what, what triggered it. There was no, nothing bad happened. You know, you just get back from vacation with family, everything's going great. You know, it should be the time of your life because you're retired. I'm retired, and it was this culmination of you know multiple things. I think of wow, I'm 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 retired. I'm you lost a little bit of that identity, even though I've professed to coworkers and guys I've trained that family is important because when you leave this profession all you have you are that badge number you are that serial number um you are important while you are there and you're important to your friends and family but your family is the most important thing because they are going to be there long after that job when you hang it up they are going to be there and we you know kind of joke it's a it's a joke across the u.s and probably anywhere in law enforcement that you know you are there you're doing the job to the best of your ability. You love what you do. But when you're done, you know, the young guys don't realize when the health physically and mentally takes a toll on you. And none of us, you know, got told that from the get go. And none of us saw any of that because of those reasons that men internalize and keep it. And you got to stay strong and you got to stay tough. Isn't that such a, isn't that such a crappy stigma that we have as men? That says, I might be going through something internally that I can't even identify why, like you just said. I can't identify why I'm having the anxiety attack, why I'm struggling now with anxiety. Yet, I can't talk about it because I can't even articulate. You know, I think you, you described to me on the phone, like I'm going through something. And I can't even tell you why it is and I can't tell you what I'm feeling. I just know I'm not me. Yeah. yeah. Something's and not right. Something's not right. I can't pinpoint it. There's no... Uh, circumstances that have caused something, I just know. And then this, which I want to say to you, um, I applaud you for having the willingness to talk to somebody. That's some of the things we're going to talk about later. But, um, but then, you know, like I have family members who struggle deeply with anxiety and I didn't understand it. And so my response, and I think this is a lot of our responses is we don't talk about it. Or when we do the typical response of family members or friends is, yeah, I don't know, man, I don't understand what you're going through. Um, there must be something wrong with you. Go see a doctor. 
or pull yourself up from the bootstraps. Okay, that's your wife that says go see a doctor. No guy has ever given no, another just, guy No, just that. suck it up, buttercup, and move on, okay. right? Well, I like that advice, but... Yeah. Um, Shed, if you had come to me, I wouldn't have said, go see a doctor. Yeah. Maybe um, wrongfully so, but. And, 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 and here's the thing I think is understandable. Um, when you're struggling, and I think you alluded to this, Chet, in our conversation on the phone, when you're struggling with something, um, the answers that other people give are not necessarily the most beneficial. No. And it, 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 it if they've been through that, yes, but this kind of situation goes with anything in life. If you haven't walked a mile in that person's shoes, you can be sympathetic, but you can't be empathetic because you Mm. haven't experienced it. So if you, you could be a psychiatrist, psychologist, um, and know what the book says to say, or know what, um, you know, a professor taught you, you could be the best coach in the world, but if you've never played football or if you've been the best professor in the world, but you've never experienced the symptoms that someone's describing, you really don't know. And How, how'd your family, cause you, again, I think this is pretty clear. I want to make sure people, listeners understand this. I mean, you had an anxiety attack. Yeah. As best as I could tell, that's exactly what it was. So how did your family respond to you? Did, it, did they feel like, Oh, there's just something's wrong with you now. Go, go fix it. I mean, I mean, how, what was the response? My kids didn't know. Um, I didn't act different in front of them or anything. I just, they saw me more active and going on a lot more walks, trying to clear my mind. My wife, uh, gave me, you know, tidbits on what to do or what she thought could help. And some of it did, some of it didn't, but she's never experienced anything like this. So what did you feel about yourself? This is the key right here. What did you feel about yourself during that time? The key is it's debilitating that you can't do you can't focus, you know, your mind's racing on something that your, your mind created. There's no external factor, you know, it's an internal mind factor. I believe that something maybe externally put that in your mind, but it's an internal mind, um, fight and it's a spiritual fight and we'll dig deeper. I'm sure into that too, but the the mind aspect of it like you have your brain and you have you know that's an organ and then you have your beliefs and you have your thoughts and and whatnot and I think that with not being a trained psychologist or anything I think it's something in the subconscious that is just uh is making you have those you know anxiety thoughts. So, so what did you, uh, this is an important question and then maybe you can articulate real quickly on this. Um, what did you feel about yourself, your identity? What, what, what did you feel about your identity? That's a tough question. Um, it felt helpless that I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know what to do. And I started calling friends that I trusted and, just letting it out and being honest. And I think that that's the key right there. JB, wouldn't you say that for the majority of men that struggle with stuff, that is not the MO? Yeah, I think the ability to put light on stuff, right? Light, sun, gets rid of infection. 
And, and so this is something that's festering. And I think we see this in men and, and it's so much bigger than just law enforcement. Again, I say that just because I don't want people to go, well, I'm not in law enforcement or former military. So this doesn't apply to me. It applies to you. Cause we're talking to guys that are outside of that, that are still dealing with this every day. So I Correct. thank you so much for bringing it. Um, but I think the thing that I see in you that was incredible is you shined light on it. You let your wife speak into it and be part of that problem. Yeah, most men would hide. How many guys do that? Yeah, most men won't. I, I agree with what you're saying. I think that's a huge point. Most men don't let other people into the fact of what they're feeling because the stigma around this idea is most men are reluctant to talk, that there's a downplay of our symptoms. Well, it's just not that bad. I'm not, I'm, I, it's just a bad day. Yeah. Right? But all of a sudden, bad days turn into bad weeks, turn into bad lives. Well, and we've been taught to play through it, right? There's a difference between rub some hurt. dirt on it and move on, There's right? There's a difference between being hurt and being injured, right? Correct. You're just hurt. If you play through it, you'll get to the other side of it. And so I think there's something in our social consciousness, especially men of our generation who did two-a-days, right? The ones that when we worked out for football or basketball, it was till you puked and then you finally got water or you didn't get water, right? Like we, we have this mentality to just try harder. And I think it was so smart, Shet, to let your wife be part of it and then to go to your friends and then and have Andy speak into that, not because they even have the answer, but there is power hmm. when you bring stuff from darkness, our own head, our own empty bottle, our own, um, right, just aloneness, and you bring it into the light, even if they, you're not getting wise counsel from every one of them, some people are morons, there's something good that happens there. Well, and I'll say this too. There's a reluctance to do that because it has to do a couple things. It has to, first of all, you have to admit I am not well. Saying those words alone can come with a social norm that that breaks the social norm for what we're taught to be as men. Correct. Right? So I think there's that realization to say, I care about, and I think this really goes deep, I care about myself more than what I care about what you think about me. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Right? And, and I, I care about those who I'm influencing, my family, my children, to care more uh, to say something versus then holding an image that's a false image just so that I can save face in front of other people. And I think that that's a stigma that as men, we have to get beyond and we have to break down. Listen, there's, there's statistics. I want to read a couple statistics because I think this is a really fascinating deal. Um, one in 10 men experience depression or anxiety, but less than half will receive treatment less than half matter of fact um, men are four times more likely who struggle with anxiety and depression to commit suicide you talked to me about something that was going on in england a while ago about that right yeah number one um suicide rate after teens is 40 plus year old white men who are going who just got divorced are changing careers so you talked a little bit about that, are changing careers and have no purpose left in life. They thought they knew their calling. They thought they had the woman to do it. They thought they had the kids that loved and worshiped them. And the kids became teenagers. They lost the job or the fulfillment from that. And the woman moved out and, and now they're just left broken. And it's the number one suicide rate after teens. Over 6 million men in the U.S. suffer from depression or anxiety every year. 
only 80% of male, but 80% of male depression or anxiety goes undiagnosed. And that's why we're talking about it, right? Yeah. Because it is undiagnosed. And Shet, you, you've sat in these rooms with these men who aren't talking about it. And, and I think that's why you were so excited, excited, so willing, willing to tell your story. Well, I prayed on this and, um, it's interesting without going down a, a rabbit hole, but I briefly touched on it earlier. I went to church as a kid, um, but wasn't religious. And as I grew older and went into this profession, my faith, unfortunately, faded quite a bit. And part of that is because of what I discussed on seeing certain things in life. And you question it. Why? How? Who could let this happen? How does the officer get shot once and pass away? And the suspect gangster got shot 10 times and lives and then gets off with hardly anything. You start questioning a lot. And a little tidbit that I just recently found out about, my sister has been more religious than me growing up. Mm. And years and years ago, she bought me, it's a Bible, but it's a police officer's Bible, if you will. And it has little excerpts in addition to it that try to correlate to what you're going through as a first responder, as someone in law enforcement, or will have like little cliff notes at the bottom of certain passages. She just recently told me, um, because my faith has grown so much in the last couple of years, and especially the last year, um, and even during, you know, during this time, it's grown. My thirst for Jesus and God and the Bible have grown exponentially. She told me, though, I prayed when I bought that Bible for you. I prayed to God every night that you would have a closer, closer relationship. And she goes, I didn't think you were an atheist, but you were definitely agnostic at the time. Mm. You wanted no relationship and you questioned everything. And it's not our position to question God. And she goes, and my prayers were answered because I, I can see it now. Well, and it happened. The funny thing is, is our closeness to our relationship with God happens in our weakness, not in our strength. And it was the weakness that, that came in you un, unbeknownst to you showed up one day, a weakness yeah, that has drawn you into closer to God. Matter of fact, there's a passage in Luke four eighteen. It says this, Jesus made a powerful statement concerning his purpose on earth. When he said the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the hostage and recover sight to the blind to set the liberty for those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And I think that one of the things that we talk about here is mental illness or mental struggles are hostage. They hold you hostage and it's, it's hard to figure out on our own how we get through this. It's yes. a, it's an impossibility, but we do know um, that it's through the power of Jesus and the power of relationships that, 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 that can all change. You know, one of the things that I, I we're going to kind of wrap this up a little bit here because I want to keep, keep guys in involved in this. Um, but there's a great resource that I'm very aware of um, that's called NAMI, which is National Alliance for Men- of Mental Health. And they've got groups all over the place. Matter of fact, at our church specifically, we have a group regarding this and it's filled with men and women 
who are not crazy. And that's what we think when we use the word mental health, we think crazy. People yeah, are crazy. It has a very negative stigma. Right. Mental health means I, that I need to be healthy everywhere. But Jesus said, your body, soul, mind, and spirit. Mind and soul and spirit, right? And I think it's important. You said it earlier in our conversation that we have to take into account our whole being and create a health in our, in our whole being. And so I just want to give this real quick word to you guys out there. If you're struggling with um, depression, anxiety, first word, first word, you're not alone. You're not crazy. And it doesn't define all of you. And I think that that's important thing. Matter of fact, that's why we have this podcast because it's not good for man to be alone. That's the reason. And so many guys feel like there's something wrong with them specifically, and it makes them even more isolated. But, you know, Chet, and I'll just say this, the part that I love about you is you called, you didn't get stuck in the moment. You called, you reached out, and you're on your way to understanding more about yourself, and you're allowing other people to love you to that place of health. Absolutely. And I think that that's the part of maturity as you, as a man, and I think that's, that's the first step, man. You know, you talk about steps, 12 steps, whatever. The first step in this whole idea of struggling with mental health is to say, I care about myself enough to get well. And some of you guys have been depressed. Some of you guys have had anxiety ridden over your life. The easiest things I can say to you would be to get help. And that's easy to say. But the hardest thing I'm going to say to you is this, is admit that you're not okay. Yeah. Don't be afraid to call a friend. Don't be afraid to ask for help, whether that go your primary care and just say, you know what? I don't feel okay. I don't feel all right. I'm going for walks in Arizona at, at 110 degrees. At, at <laughs> that might kill you alone. Let's yeah. just be, let's not kid ourselves. So, all right, Jabes, what you got? No, I really appreciate Chet coming on and talking about this important topic and stirring it up. Men shine the light on it. Talk to somebody about it, right? Talk to your spouse. There's freedom that comes when we don't allow things to be hidden, right? And the coping mechanisms that so many people turn to, opioids, alcohol, pornography, right? All of these things are things that keep us hidden, keep us alone, keep us in the dark. And we're telling you, bring it in the light and good things happen. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Hey, man, I just want to say thank you. Thanks for sharing your story. Um, that, And this is why I wanted Chet on here. He is not crazy. He's a man who's got a wife, two kids, a job, and yet there's still a part of all of us, and I'll, I'll admit it for myself too, that struggles sometimes. And it, it's, it's, we can live a normal life, yet it's not feel a part of being wholly healthy. And so I'm just thankful for you, man. I'm thankful that you were willing to talk a little bit about it. It would have been way more cooler to talk this podcast just about criminal stories. Um, but that's not why we're here. I did teach people how to get out of tickets. You did teach people. That would have been way cooler. I understand that. But I also understand that there's many, many guys who are not well. And I just want to tell you, man, just say it. I'm not well and I want to be well. And that's why I respect Chet because he said I'm not well yet. I want to be well. And um, ultimately, we know that Jesus is the, the healer of all. And, and I think that that's the important thing. And, and you're finding that out more and more and more, that Jesus is the healer of all. Absolutely. Um, and when you're, when you're praying, when you're asking for help, and whether it's the, the worst thing you've ever experienced or you just a little, you know, a little bump in the road. But this is where I think 
I've gotten a, a lot better in the sense of, you know, in the grand scheme of things, pray, you know, for mental clarity, pray, pray for strength, but also pray that what can good can come from this, Hmm. that you can help other people. You can make someone else realize, you know, if they were having suicidal thoughts, which I didn't. And a lot of my buddies that have experienced this kind of stuff don't, or at least didn't tell me, and they, they do deal with other coping mechanisms, but the big thing I took from talking to people and my little research that I have done and starting to dig deeper into it is to help other people and myself is, you know, when you're praying, pray that God will use you and your testimony to help other people. Pray what good can come from this and not take this away because mm. those trials and tribulations and the hardships make you a stronger and a better person. God never promised us an easy life and he gave us free will and he gave us a brain in order to make good, wise decisions and to follow Jesus's path. Some people fall astray from that and that's when people need the help. Yeah. Yeah. That reminds me of second Corinthians one, four that says he helps us in all our troubles so that we are able to help others who have all kinds of troubles using the same help that we receive from God. And so there's power when we tell our story. So if you found freedom, man, have the balls to share it like Shet sharing it and say, I got my help. Now you get yours. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just want to pray over Chet. Uh, Father, I just thank you uh, for my friend Chet. I thank you for the journey you have him on of self-discovery and your healing hand in, in his body and in his life. God, you're going to use my man and you already have. And I'm just thankful for the friendship that we have. I'm thankful for strength that in weakness, when we share weakness, we are actually at our strongest. And God, I'm thankful that he's a strong man because that is weakness. He reached out and that's strength. So Father, I thank you for that. I pray blessings over him. Pray blessings over guys out there who are dealing with depression, anxiety, any other mental illness, man, there's just, you know, the statistics, 6 million men a year are diagnosed with a mental illness. Doesn't mean we're crazy. Doesn't mean we're jacked up. It just means we're just not well. And yet God, you've given us the tools to be well. So would we be able to accept those and, and just get the help that we need so that we can be men who stand in the gap with other men? So father, I thank you for that. Lord, thank you for this conversation and uh, just bringing us to the, to, to the light, as JB said. So, God, we love you. Bless us and bless uh, this message, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to thank our guest today. Life-changing story of God. And the Bible says that your testimony produces more testimonies. And so we're believing this is going to speak into other people's life. Talk to us on social media. You can find us on Spotify, at Apple, at First Adam, all one word, our website at firstadam.com. Remember to share us with your friends because it is not good for man to be alone. This is JB. This is Andy and Chet, but it's Andy and we're out.